folks. Welcome to Pick Action Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. I'm your host, Ryan Blackburn at NBA Blackburn on Twitter. It is Wednesday night as I'm recording this. Uh, deep into the night, following the Denver Nuggets loss, final score, 108 for the Utah Jazz, 104 for the Nuggets. Uh, this was a good game. This was a a fun, entertaining game up until like the last four minutes or so. And it felt like the Nuggets actually really had a chance to, to pull off an upset here, even without Nikola Jokic, even without Aaron Gordon. Obviously, you're without Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr. too. Uh, those are Denver's four max guys, the, the guys that they've given the most amount of money that they possibly can. Uh, and being without all four of them, it's pretty hard to foresee whether Denver could make an actual push here. And it's not like the Jazz were without guys too. Like they didn't have Donovan Mitchell. They didn't have Rudy Gobert. They didn't have Joe Ingles who tore his ACL earlier. And they didn't have Hassan Whiteside. So that's four of their nine rotation players, including their top two stars. So uh, there were a lot of Jazz folks, including good friend Tony Jones of The Athletic, who were like, well, it's not like Denver's like they don't have that much of a massive like disadvantage here, despite the fact that Denver was coming in on the second night of a back to back for the third time against the Jazz when they have rest. Obviously, if you flip that, and if the Nuggets are playing against the Jazz three out of four times when they're rested and the Jazz are on the second night of a back to back then the Jazz probably don't sweep the Nuggets this season. Like, I think that that's pretty clear. You get a little bit of a different result. And it's just unfortunate that Denver has had to go through their first 51 games of the schedule, which is where they're at now. They've had a lot of games where you can point to and say, yeah, that that's a schedule disadvantage. Or that's a game where if Denver was under different circumstances, they'd have a much better chance of winning. Obviously, the regular season is the regular season. You're going to face a lot of these games throughout the year, but it's one of the reasons why it's it's hard to evaluate certain matchups from game to game, and you have to just evaluate the overall product, because this game was a schedule loss for Denver. And despite the fact that the Jazz were without a couple of their top guys as well, you can definitely look at this and say, yeah, the Nuggets were in a really tough position, but they had a chance to win it at the end. So excuses go out the window when you're leading at halftime, when you're tied late in the fourth quarter, you just got to execute at that point, And the Nuggets didn't. They just, they needed more from their starters than they got. And it's too bad that this is where things kind of ended up. But let's talk about the starters first. Then we'll talk about the bench in the second segment. Really good night for the bench. And then we will talk about where the Nuggets currently stand after their six-game road trip. But first, the starters. Denver, given that they were without so many guys, they went with Monte Morris, Austin Rivers, Will Barton, Jeff Green, and Zeke Naji. Jeff Green only played 20 minutes. He was a minus 17 in this one, scored eight points, grabbed one rebound, dished out one assist. Didn't really do a whole heck of a lot. Just uh, not really invested in this game and not really a good matchup in this one. Thought he would be better against Boyan Bogdanovich than he was. Uh, but he was the guy that really gave up a lot of the uh, 
a lot of the shots that Bogdanovich hit despite Bogdanovich going 5 of 16. So it's too bad that that Denver kind of lost that one when they needed Jeff Green to step up after a couple of uh, meh performances over these last few games from Jeff Green. But that's why you have other guys. That's why you have other guys to step up. And Austin Rivers goes two points, one of five from the field, oh of three from three. Did have a steal and a block. Might be a little bit unfair to uh, criticize him, but the one turnover that he had was an atrocious turnover, just just probably the worst turnover of the Nuggets night, where he just gets picked at half court because he's not paying attention to who's around him dribbling through traffic. And it's just like, hey, an NBA point guard or an NBA caliber guard has to be able to protect the ball there. Sometimes if you're in a position where your back is turned to somebody else and, and the spacing's a little bit off, then it's a little bit different. But he dribbled through traffic very nonchalantly. And his defense tonight wasn't anything to write home about. He got blown by, got mismatched just about as much as anybody else. And did he have a couple of good defensive possessions? Sure. But it was not a good night for him on the offensive end. He did not play down the stretch except for a defensive possession here or there. And I'm not really surprised. Uh, So that leaves three guys in the starting unit that you're looking for. Monte Morris, Will Barton, Zeke Naji. Zeke didn't hit any threes. He turned the ball over three times, two of them on on pretty crap offensive screening fouls. Not going to lie. Both of them were in the second half, and both times he was setting a flare screen, or a flare screen for one of them, and a just a regular just a regular ball screen on the other. And both times the opposing player flopped and got the call. That's too bad. Like Zeke should not be called for those fouls. Those are not fouls. And he got hit with a a pretty tough whistle tonight. But he did fight and scored eight points, grabbed three offensive rebounds, grabbed eight uh, rebounds total, blocked Mike Conley's shot in an isolation, did a really good job defensively tonight, switching on to a whole heck of a lot of people. He had to work the hardest of anybody defensively tonight on either end of the floor. And it's tough to see that energy and effort be rewarded or not really rewarded at all because I I don't know. It's just, it was a really tough game to evaluate from a perspective where he would generate switches on the offensive end of the floor and then he would space it out to the three-point line while the guards did their magic, worked the drive. But then on the defensive end, he really had to mask a whole bunch of mistakes. And he was very, very good tonight defensively. Did have a couple mistakes here or there. Got got uh, one or one or more times. One of them by Jared Butler, who had a nice up and under move. And Mike Conley, he got switched onto Mike Conley again. Mike Conley gives him the up and under, but shoots a one-legged 23-footer with his foot on the line at the three-point line. Banks it in like like he was shooting a rock out there and nearly split the glass in half. But it drops. And it's one of those that you can't really get back, but it's one of those that I will remember and think about that, yeah, Zeke Naji played great defense, and he played a lot of great defense tonight. Didn't really get rewarded with it, which is uh, not great. It's too bad. And you've got Monte Morris and Will Barton. And I thought that this was kind of a push and pull that I didn't really like. I thought that Monte Morris was far more in control. 
thought that he played a much better game than Will Barton. And yet I thought that Will Barton was the guy who was getting most of the opportunities and, and really trying pretty hard to make the most of, of those opportunities and get into the paint and do the right thing. It wasn't like he was trying to turn the ball over or anything, but you get that four assists to five turnovers margin, shoot the ball, uh, score 14 points, shoot it 16 times. It stands out. It stands out in a game where Denver really shot the ball well otherwise. They thought they had a lot of guys, a lot of players that played really well, especially with that bench unit. Barton had a much better second half than he did a first half, uh, other than the turnovers. But I do think that he needed to torque down at various points. I thought he drove the lane a little bit hard or settled for some bad pull-up twos. And both of those options weren't great. I thought that he would have been much better had he had a lot of catch-and-shoot opportunities from three. But those were never really generated. Never really went for that. And it's too bad because Will's more at his best when he gets the open catch-and-shoot three. Thought he had an open catch-and-shoot three tonight. And then he came back down the floor and turned the ball over. um, Trying to do a little bit too much. It's just one of those things with him. Like, he does get a longer leash with Michael Malone than I think anybody else on the roster. He can make his mistakes uh, doing the right thing, trying to get to the paint, trying to do various things. But because he's been through the war with Michael Malone for as long as Michael Malone has been here, he's earned that level of trust. He's earned that level of uh, benefit of the doubt. Because he's come up big, he's come up clutch in a lot of different situations. Tonight he had an opportunity to come up clutch and missed a free throw. Um, Missed a free throw down the stretch that Denver really needed. Goes one of three from the free throw line. Stepped to the line for a technical free throw and missed that too. All while Bones Highland was on the floor, by the way. Bones is like shooting 90% from the free throw line. Will Barton is not. I thought it was a very... Odd decision. Thought that there were a lot of odd decisions in Will's game tonight. And to cap it all off defensively, he continues to be the biggest, uh, other than Bryn Forbes, Will Barton continues to be the biggest detractor from the perimeter defense. He either gets blown by or doesn't put a body on somebody under the rim. And Both of those options are bad, and both of those options usually lead to points for the opposing team. And it's getting to the point with it that when you start thinking about what Denver needs for the playoffs, what they need for winning a title, if that is still their goal, perimeter defense is one of those things. And they're getting it from Davon Reed. They're getting it from Austin Rivers sometimes. Zeke Najee's giving it a really good effort out there, switches on to guards and does a really good job. Jeff Green has his moments, but it's kind of meh. Aaron Gordon is going to be your main defender, but you need somebody else on the perimeter who's going to give you great execution. And I struggle to think that Barton is going to give them great defensive execution in the playoffs, despite the fact that he's going to play a big role. 
And so when fans clamor to want Barton off the team, they more look at it from an offensive perspective. And I don't. I think that Barton's role is going to scale down. I think that he's shown that it can scale down, that he can perform well in a lot of different circumstances as an offensive kind of supporting piece for Jamal Murray, for Michael Porter, for Nikola Jokic. He's shown that he can do that. What he hasn't shown yet is a consistent defensive execution. And there are very few guards on Denver's roster that have shown that. So if you're looking for places to upgrade, if you're looking for places to improve, to find a way to get past a team like Golden State or Utah or Memphis or Phoenix or Dallas, you're going to need to get stops. And if the Nuggets trust Will Barton to get stops when it counts, then great. We haven't seen that. We haven't seen him do it in the playoffs before. We haven't seen him do it uh, throughout his career. Some of that has been injury-related. Some of that is because he has a large offensive responsibility right now. And a lot of this is projection, saying that he's going to be able to scale down on the offensive end and scale up on the defensive end. I don't know if that's the right call, but I'm not a GM. I'm not a coach. I'm not in those conversations every day. So if they believe in Will, then I'm going to believe in Will. I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt, just like the coaching staff is. But I am worried. I see Bones Highland struggling, and I think, oh, he's a rookie. I see Bryn Forbes struggling, and I think, okay, they brought him in to shoot. They didn't bring him in to play defense. See Monte Morris in there struggling defensively sometimes. I think, okay, he's a point guard. He's going to set the table for others, but I know that Monte is going to be in the right position every time. I don't know that about Will. I think that Will is, he has a very, very large amount to prove when it comes to these playoffs. And it's about getting healthy. It's about staying healthy. And it's about showing out when it counts. We're going to see. We're going to see whether he can do it. Uh, And finally, Monte Morris. I thought he played a pretty good game tonight. Uh, He has a lot of times where he has to go isolation. And I thought that he was pretty effective doing that. 15 points on 13 shots is nothing to write home about. But he dished out three assists, grabbed three rebounds, zero turnovers. He wasn't forcing the issue too terribly much. But he was settling four shots that he could make. And in the half court, that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. He's a guy that I trust in the playoffs. I think I trust Will. I think I do. But I still need to see a little bit more defensively in order to think it completely. Let's take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about the bench unit and some surprise performances from the bench unit. But first, as you know, The moment we've been waiting for since September is finally here. And in honor of the big game, DraftKings Sportsbook, the official sports betting partner of Super Bowl 56, is giving you customers 56 to 1 odds on either team. Or you bet just $5, get 280 of them, 
in free bets if your team wins. You could experience Super Bowl 56 with same game parlays as well, where you combine multiple bets, get that larger payout. You know you're going to go for that Joe Burrow-Jamar-Chase combo. Doesn't matter that Jalen Ramsey's going to be on the other side. Very great players all the way around, but you got to go big. Because if you go big, the more legs you add, the more money you win. It is that simple. And the great thing about DraftKings, they're safe, secure, and reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your cash whenever you want. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code MHS. Get those 56 to 1 odds. $280 in free bets as long as you bet $5. As long as your team wins. That's promo code MHS. Only at DraftKings Sportsbook. Must be 21 or older. Colorado only. New customers only. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com Sportsbook for details. Gambling problem call 1-800-522-4700. We'll be right back on Pickaxe and Roll. Pickaxe and Roll, Ryan Blackburn here. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you could, it would be awesome if you could rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast uh, on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you get your podcasts. Five stars would be great. Okay. Let's talk about the bench. Let's talk about Bryn Forbes. And, and I thought that actually, before we do that, Denver had only, they had only six players available off the bench tonight. 11 total. Uh, you don't have Nikola Jokic, don't have Aaron Gordon, don't have DeMarcus Cousins, and you don't have Vlaco Chanchar, Jamal Murray, Michael Porter Jr., of course. So you've got six guys, and you're pretty small. Denver started Jeff Green and Zeke Naji together, and so they had basically four guards at their disposal in Bones Highland, Bryn Forbes, Vlaco Campazzo, Marcus Howard, and they had one wing in Davon Reed, and they had one big in Jamichael Green. So it was pretty it was pretty not surprising, in my opinion, that Davon Reed played tonight. You weren't gonna go with three guards and then playing Zeke Naji like 40 minutes. You weren't gonna play Jeff Green a whole heck of a lot of time on the second unit. So they decided to go with Davon Reed and I thought that that was a really good call. Uh, we'll, we'll talk about him in just a little bit. We, we got to talk about Brent Forbes to start. 26 points on 13 shots for Brent Forbes. This is one of those games where you think about throughout the season where certain performances can have you win a game. And Brent Forbes getting 26 off the bench is one of those where it should have been enough for Denver starters to be able to pull it out because Rudy Gay on the other side had 15 points. Jared Butler had 10 points. Neither of those guys shot the ball super efficiently. Bryn Forbes had 26 shots or 26 points. And he had more points than Rudy Gay did on one fewer shot. One less shot. Denver got some great production from their bench overall. And Bryn Forbes, I, I noted this on Twitter 
during the game. One of the things that stands out about his game is that he's much better coming off of screens than he is coming off of DHOs. And you're probably thinking to yourself, Ryan, what's the difference between coming off of a screen, coming off of a DHO? Schematically, there's not much. It's just about where the ball is on the court. The ball is away from the action when you're coming off of a screen. Somebody else is passing the ball to Bryn Forbes while his man is just a screener. While his screener, he doesn't have the ball and is just focusing on the screen. Focusing on getting a good screen to free up Bryn Forbes. And it also means that Forbes doesn't have to worry about grabbing the handoff. He has to just focus on catching the ball when he comes off the screen. And he seems a lot more comfortable doing that. And whether he's pulling up from three immediately, driving into the lane and getting to the mid-range, or even getting all the way to the basket, he looks really good in those situations where he's allowed a little bit of freedom from the spacing that Denver has. And Denver can't do that with Faku on the court. That's one of the things that really stands out when they're running those off-screen actions. Usually it's Bones Highland up top, hitting Bryn Forbes, coming off of a screen on the left side of the floor, coming around the perimeter. And sometimes they run a different set. Sometimes they run a little bit of a different play. But oftentimes, Bones Highland's man can't dig deep enough into Bryn Forbes' path. And what I mean by a dig, when Bones passes the ball to Bryn Forbes up on the top of the the floor, if Bones' man kind of jumps over a little bit to try to bother Bryn Forbes, Bryn is just going to pass it back to Bones, and Bones has a free lane to either hit a three or drive to the basket. And he's been pretty good at both. So they can't do that. The defense can't do that. With Faku, you can, because Faku's shooting closer to about 31% from three. Bones is shooting about 35, if I'm not mistaken. But a lot of those are much more difficult than the shots that Faku has to take. And teams, I think, they just respect Bones' jumper a little bit more than they do Faku's. And they also have to respect his drive game, because he finishes at the rim better. Generally. So, when you think about what Denver has had to deal with with their bench unit over the course of these last couple, Jamichael Green makes sense as a screener. Davon Reed makes sense as a screener and pop guy. Somebody who can get to the perimeter, make some plays if the ball comes to him, but isn't necessarily a major part of the initial action. And I thought that that's exactly how they handled it tonight. Davon Reed then gets into the paint, gets his shots on the perimeter, and does a really good job handling the pressure of the ball finding him and then just capitalizing, making plays, looking very comfortable with the ball in his hands, taking the shots that are given, and nothing more, nothing less. He didn't turn the ball over tonight. Davon Reed didn't. And he had 13 points on seven shots, three of five from three. Seven rebounds, four assists, one steal, and was a plus 14. He led all nuggets tonight in plus minus from the bench in 30 bench minutes. That means that the nuggets were minus 18 in the 18 minutes that he didn't play. 
That's crazy. That is a crazy number. So what it says to me is that Davon Reed is a very good basketball player because this is happening consistently when he comes on the court. When he's out there, he's very comfortable taking threes, very comfortable driving and shooting off the dribble, comfortable making reads, making defensive plays, guarding Mike Conley. Thought he did a good job of guarding Mike Conley when he was out there. Mike Conley burned other players. He got Zeke Naji once, got Bones Highland once, he got Monte Morris and Will Barton and Austin Rivers and Bryn Forbes. Got a lot of other guys. Think he got Davon Reed once. But for the most part, when he attacked Davon Reed, Davon Reed fought right back and did so without fouling. Or for the most part. And to me, there is a perimeter defender within Davon Reed that is potentially good enough for a playoff series. I don't know if it's good enough. I think it's possible that it is. I think it's possible that he, given what he can do on the offensive end and what he's comfortable doing, maybe he can stay on the court, not be taken advantage of. But I also think that more often than not, Michael Malone is going to default to the guys that he trusts that have been in the league for a long time. And it's one of the reasons why Davon Reed hasn't gotten a major role within the team, despite the fact that I think he's better than Austin Rivers. I think he's played better overall than Bones Highland, than Bryn Forbes, than Faku Campazzo, than Marcus Howard, than Austin Rivers. I think he's been the best of all of those guys, which is kind of crazy. He's a two-way guy that Denver just found, played with them on the Summer League team, went to the G League, He was one of the very first call-ups in the entire NBA. And the Nuggets were lucky that they called him up first and didn't call up somebody like Lance Stevenson. Because while Lance is playing well and he's had some good moments with the Pacers, the Nuggets need a 3 and D wing. They need somebody like Davon Reed, who can guard the opposing team's best guy, whether it's Mike Conley or LeBron James, and do so competently. Just be somebody that's solid. Make the opposing guy work for their shots. They're probably going to make it, just like they do against everybody else. But what Davon Reed has done so far in his NBA tenure with Denver is really, really impressive. And I hope it warrants a new contract. If the Nuggets want him to play in the playoffs, if they want to have him available, then they need to convert his contract from a two-way contract to a fully guaranteed deal, I believe. Don't quote me on it, but that was the rule when Torrey Craig was there and they didn't convert his deal. They instead went into the playoffs in the 2019 playoffs um, or the 2018. Oh, yeah, so they went into the 2018 playoffs with Torrey Craig on a two-way contract. Obviously, they didn't make it, but even if they had, Tory wouldn't have been available. And in retrospect, it was fine then. It's not fine now, unless Denver makes a trade for somebody else that's a better defender than him. Because 
like I've talked about with Will, like I've talked about with a lot of Denver's perimeter defenders, they're just not good enough. They just aren't. So I think we might be in a situation where Davon Reed should be playing, probably isn't going to play, and then Denver will probably have him on a like just a very standard contract next year. And maybe he'll break into the rotation at that point. I do think it's pretty interesting that they've put themselves into this position now. Bones Highland, very hit or miss tonight. Uh, had 10 points, 7 assists, 4 of 7 from the field, 2 of 4 from 3. Had a block. He did turn the ball over 4 times. And there were some possessions that he had in there that were backbreakers for Denver. Now, he's not the only one. Will Barton had five turnovers. Bones Island had four. Zeke Naji had a couple screening fouls, which were pretty killer. He add all those up, and he adds some of the bad defensive mistakes from Bones. And he was about neutral tonight, I thought. Maybe slightly above neutral. Now, usually Denver can get away with neutral. He was a plus four. He was flanked by Bones Highland and, or not Bones, uh, Bryn Forbes and Davon Reed. And they all played pretty well. Thought that combination was pretty good. Jermichael Green even got in on the action at various points and did pretty well. All of the bench was a plus. All of the starters were a minus. So maybe this is a group that they can continue with. I doubt that they will. I think that Zeke probably plays with the bench unit once again. I think that uh, Austin Rivers probably plays with the bench unit once again. And we're probably going to revert back to some of the other stuff. But I do think it was a good sign that you got some good minutes from Bones. You got some good minutes from Jamichael, from Bryn Forbes, a real breakout game for Bryn. And Davon Reed playing really well. I thought that this was the most encouraging part of tonight's game, where when the starters didn't really have it, when Jeff Green, Austin Rivers, Zeke Naji to a degree, Will Barton definitely, didn't really have it, didn't have their best versions of themselves. I thought that the bench was fantastic in stepping up. And so this is a good positive sign. Even on the second night of a back-to-back without Jokic, you lose a game to the Jazz, and it's tough. But you got some good minutes. And hopefully they can take that with them into this upcoming three-game homestand. We will see if they can. I'm very interested to seeing whether they actually do. But for now, let's take a break. When we come back, we're going to evaluate where the Nuggets are as a team with 31 games remaining. We'll be right back. Final segment, pickaxe and roll. Thank you so much for tuning in. Uh, really appreciate it. If you're still sticking around here for this third segment, I've got a special surprise. I am going to be doing a live Twitter Spaces on Thursday evening, kind of like the one that I did last week, kind of like the one that I butchered when I when I forgot to not forgot to, but I didn't record it. I was initially going to up update it to this podcast. It didn't end up working. But what I'm going to do now is I'm going to record it at 9 o'clock in the evening, 
like I did the last one, probably go for about an hour and a half. And then I'm going to upload that recording onto this platform. And so you'll be able to listen to it if you miss it. But if you want to ask any questions, if you want to listen to it live to, to kill your evening, uh, just whatever, whatever you're doing on that Thursday night, if you don't want to watch whatever ugly national TV game they have scheduled, I'm sure it's a Laker game. Then you can do something different. Hang out with Nuggets fans. We're going to talk trades. We're going to talk rotations. We're going to talk about what the Nuggets are trying to do. And I think it's going to be interesting. We're going to hear some stuff. We are going to actually probably hear some stuff as the Nuggets come back from their uh, initial, uh, their six-game road trip over these last nine days. I want to just check the, let's check the game log or the game notes for this last one because I want to know if Jamal Murray's out of health and safety or not. Um, let's zoom in real quick. Murray is out of health and safety protocols. So I'm sure that he is still working his way back, that Michael Porter is still working his way back, that they've tried to make some tangible progress, and we're probably going to get some updates of a sort over the course of the next week or so. That would be my guess. And we're, we're officially in Murray watch because... February 21st is officially 10 months out after his surgery. I have to imagine that he's probably coming back after the All-Star break, given his most recent run-in with COVID, given that we haven't heard about him doing any live drills. So my guess is that he's going to try to make some of these check-ins for his physical health for his knee. And once he doesn't have too much pain, he's probably going to start doing some live stuff. And after that, then it's anybody's guess. I will say, I would internally push this timeline for Jamal Murray to come back, uh, back to March. I don't think he's going to show up in April or in February. I've been wrong before, as many people know. But I do think that it, in order to properly um, have proper expectations for Jamal, my guess is March... Uh, I don't want to put this out. Like March 2nd to March 15th. We'll put that on the calendar. You can you can circle back to this if you'd like. If it's outside of that window, then fine. I don't care. But that's where, based off of what I've heard, based off of what I think makes the most sense, I think that's the timeline that they're shooting for. And we'll see. We'll see if he can get back there. We'll see if Michael Porter can get back by that time. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think that Porter is going to come back based off of the reporting that we got from the uh, um, from the doctor that did his individual evaluation and granted them the disabled player exception. I know a lot of other people have put that out there that it doesn't really change that. I do think that what it says to me is that Denver would be smart if they held him out. And so they're probably going to Probably going to see where they are. If they can go on a big run, then maybe he'll come back. If not, then we're just going to have to see. But for now, let's do a check-in. The Nuggets are 28-23. and 23. They are 6th in the Western Conference. They've played pretty well overall. 
But on this homestand, or on this on this road trip, excuse me, they won their first four games and lost the two that mattered. They lost the two that mattered the most, which is too bad. Because, of course, they're at the very tail end of the road trip. Of course, after multiple back-to-backs, they had to put themselves into this position. Because that's just what makes the most sense, right? Of course it does. But either way, they haven't really been hurt that much by the standings. The Jazz still have plenty of time to lose other games. The Mavericks just lost to the Oklahoma City Thunder tonight. Without Kristaps Porzingis, they've been kind of vulnerable, which I'm kind of surprised about. Last year, Kristaps Porzingis was not the bellwether for that team. They had other guys that really stood up, stood up and played well. They don't have that same big man rotation with the same effectiveness that they did last year. So it seems like they are just as susceptible to faltering as any of these other teams. Denver is now five losses back of the Memphis Grizzlies for the three seed. They are eight wins back. So I doubt that in 31 games they can make up that amount of ground. I think it's very unlikely. Can they make up the two-loss difference between them and Utah for the four seed? Possibly. Probably, actually. Can they make up the difference between them and Dallas? Of course. They cannot win Dallas. Dallas doesn't have as easy of a schedule as Denver does. Because here's where the schedule stands. Actually, no, before that. Minnesota, given what they've done, given that they didn't play tonight, and Denver did and they lost, Minnesota is currently only two losses back of the Nuggets and the Mavericks for the five and six seeds. Minnesota's in the seven. Denver has now lost two of three games to the T-Wolves. They're a dangerous matchup. Straight up. Plain and simple. They are a dangerous matchup for the Nuggets. And that is a dangerous place to be. For Denver to have it come down to a final game against the Minnesota Timberwolves. They play the T-Wolves on April 1st. Game 78 of the year. And you can circle that matchup as a very big game for the Nuggets. Because that could be a difference between being a play-in team or being a top six seed. And you do not want to be a play-in team. Especially if Kawhi Leonard's coming back, Paul George is coming back, LeBron James gets healthy for a game or two. You don't want to put yourself into a position where you lose once, you lose twice, you're out of there. Or you put yourself into a really tough position by losing the wrong game. And then suddenly you're facing the the Phoenix Suns in the first round of the playoffs. Now, would that be the worst thing in the world for this Nuggets team where they've been as snake-bitten as they are? No, of course not. I think the Nuggets would be... I don't, they don't want to go out in the first round, but if they have to, if they realize that it's not yet, not their year, you can regroup next year and just try something different. Maybe try being healthy for once. That would be a, a good a good idea. But maybe they can get more lucky with health next year in that situation. 
But I don't think that they're thinking about stuff like that quite yet. Of course, they're still thinking about this season and how best they can handle it. The good news is that they have a lot of easier games on the schedule. 31 games left. To date, Denver is 13-9 and nine at home. They've only played 22. They are 15-14 and 14 on the road. So they've still been plus 500 on the road, despite all of this. Like, they've had to go through a really tough gauntlet of games at times. And they've still managed to make it work. That's pretty impressive. They have 19 home games left. And they have 12 road games left. I don't think that Denver's going 30-11 and 11 at home. Which means that they'd be going 17-2 and two the rest of the way. But could they go 25 and 16? Which means they go 12 and 7 at home? Sure. If you go 500 on the road at that point, I means 6 and 6, means to win another 18 games beyond this, which gets you to 46 wins. That's probably not enough. You probably need to win at least 47, 48 in order to ensure that you are going to be a playoff team. Now, I think that they probably could lose more in all likelihood, but I think the T-Wolves are good, and I think they have a run in them. So you don't want to give them any hope. You want to put them into a position where they can't catch you after you win a game on April 1st. They could rest for the final two to three games of the season and not have to worry about being in a play-in situation. But here's the kicker. The Nuggets to date are 8-18 and versus teams that are 500 or better in their record. 8-18. and They are 20-5 and versus the sub-500 teams. Played 25 games against sub-500 teams so far. Just in pretty tough circumstances on the road. But they've still been 20-5. and And I think that they can maintain that. I absolutely think that they can maintain that. Which means, you've got 25 games left. Denver has 17 more games against sub-500 teams for the rest of the year. So if you maintain that 80% win rate or so, you go, let's say, 14-3. and It's pretty good. That is a really good record. And those games should continue to be easier as some of these sub-500 teams decide to fold for the year. So they decide, hey, this isn't our year. Let's go ahead and play our young guys. As long as Denver takes it seriously, gets their guys back, gets a little bit healthier, they can go 14-3 and against the sub-500 teams. Now, it's the plus-500 games that are tough. If they continue the pace that they've established and go, let's say, 5-9, and nine, if you go 14-3 and three, and then 5-9, and nine, then you're winning another 19 games, which gets you to 47 wins. I think that Denver needs to go at least 500 versus the 500 teams. That means seven and seven. It's not five and nine. It's not six and ten. If you go seven and seven, and then you go 14 and three versus the sub 500 teams, then that means you win another 21 games, which puts you at 49 wins. 
in the West. That's going to be good enough. Anywhere close to 50 is going to be good enough. And Denver has the capability to do that because when Jokic plays and they play against these sub-500 teams, they're usually good money. Denver's been very consistent in those matchups. It's very rare that they give those up. Sometimes you'll get a game like they had against OKC, where they just don't try. Sometimes you'll get a game... uh, What's another good example of a sub-500 loss? Um, Against Portland, earlier in the year, where they're in the midst of a bad road trip, or a bad... uh, a bad losing streak, excuse me. But a lot of that was without Jokic. They lost to the Orlando Magic, a letdown win after a Miami or a letdown loss after a Miami Heat win that was pretty we'll just say emotional for this Nuggets team early in the year. So they'll have the occasional emotional letdown. They'll have the occasional effort loss. But I think those are going to more or less go away. You might get one here, one there. You might get one where the opposing team just shoots like hell against you. Or they shoot they shoot really well. They rain hellfire down. That's what I was really going for. And if that happens, then you tip your cap to them and move on. It is what it is. But for the most part, you got games against uh, Denver like the Detroit games where they win a five-point game, a six-point game against the Brooklyn Nets, where they were without all their guys. You get a six-point win against the New Orleans Pelicans. You get an 11-point win. It's not going to be a blowout. It's not going to be the Enfuego performances that you're used to for a Nuggets team. It's going to be something a little bit lesser, but it's still a win. Denver still does enough in those cases. And that's what good teams do. They take care of the bad teams. That's how you build up your record. So if Denver can do that, they still have 17 games against the sub-500 teams. If they can take advantage of those games, you're going to put a lot of wins on the board. You're going to put yourself into a situation over the course of the next month or so. I'm just going to count them up here. You've got one, two, three, four, five... 9, 10, 10 of the next 15 are against sub-500 teams. And the other five games are against the Brooklyn Nets on this next homestand, who are without, uh, probably without Kevin Durant, of course. They, they'll have Kyrie Irving. They'll have James Harden. But they still don't have their, their best player. You've got a game against the Boston Celtics. You've got a back-to-back against the Toronto Raptors. You've got two games against the Golden State Warriors. So if those are without Draymond Green, then it's a little bit different. If those are with Draymond Green, it might be tougher. But these are all winnable games over the course of February. Obviously, they're starting these first two, February 1st, February 2nd, with a loss, with two losses. But they have the capability to bounce back. I would honestly be surprised if they didn't. Because Jokic is eventually going to get healthy. Not eventually. I was surprised that he sat tonight. Probably just a back-to-back where they thought that they could steal a game. They couldn't. Is what it is. 
You got to step back and you got to perform well against the New Orleans Pelicans coming up on Friday. We will see if they can do it. See if they can get started with a new win streak because they're capable. They've got to really put their mind to it this time. That is going to do it for this episode of Pickaxe and Roll, brought to you by DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Uh, remember, going on Twitter Spaces on Thursday night, tonight, if you're listening to this on Thursday, uh, that podcast or that that will be uploaded to this channel, unless I screw it up again. So you never know. I might just screw it up. Might do it on purpose, just so you listen to the Twitter Spaces. So make sure to go hang out. They're a lot of fun. Nuggets fans can attest. They were really, really enjoyable. So get involved. Have a good time with it. And if you want to ask me a question, do so on there. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. Appreciate all the love and support. Talk to you guys tomorrow.